just quick trigger warning on this episode. We do discuss suicide and euthanasia because it's part of this book. There was a choice. It was build the bombs and use them. Or risk that the United States, the Soviet Union, and the rest of us would find some way to go on living. Okay, uh... I'm I'm starting to chicken out. Do you, do you remember when we, we put a post up on social media about it at some point? And Phil, mm-hmm. just Phil said that somebody would have to try to do an Australian accent. And I'm like, well, we have Michael here. So that's what we got Michael so, for. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other hand, I feel like he called me out. So, oh, so I'm going right. to have to try. Not the, not for the whole podcast. No, just, just saying, just, uh, <laughs> it's hard to do off the cuff, you know, and, right. and, and, and I've got somebody who knows, you know, so, so like, um, because I actually do better uh, when <laughs> quoting movie lines. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was but, uh, good. <laughs> let's give it a little bit of a go here. So, hi, Michael. Welcome. <laughs> I, I, I guess good eye, Michael, right? Yeah. Yeah. I bet uh, they say hi in Australia. They do. Yeah, I suppose you do say hi, right? Yeah. That's a good cheers. Well, it, it depends. I mean, like on, cheers, on my mate. run, you know, going past here, cheese, mate. Good day. How's it going? Nice. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to do it for the. Uh, I'll put that in the outtakes. <laughs> just, for, just for Phil. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. So I'll, I'll kick us off. We ready? Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And because we're covering an Australian title this time, On the Beach by Neville Shute, uh, which is a 1957 book which is adapted a couple of times, once in 1959, and then again in 2000. Uh, we have an Australian guest with us, our friend Michael Simshauser. Hey, Michael. G'day. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have you. And this is this is one that you had, I think, you kind of put in the, hey, can you add this to the queue like four years oh. ago? And, uh, yeah. and in, in, in the before times. In the before um, times. Yeah. In the before times. <laughs> um, and uh, I, think, I think we had just been kind of like, I don't know if we can do that to Colin. <laughs> and so so instead, we took you up on a couple other things that we thought, oh, that might work, like Harrison Bergeron. Nope, did not work. Um, so uh, at some point, I do want to to uh, ask, is it just, like, is it an Australian thing to like sort of depressing stuff, or or is it just you in particular? <laughs> um, it's hard to say. Probably a little bit from Colin A, a little bit from Colin P. <laughs> yeah, no, Um I think the Australian sense of humour and, and sort of the way we look at life is just um, sort of really um, uh, straightforward, you know. Um, one of our famous uh, lines from um, was actually from a bush ranger just before he was hung, um, <laughs> which is, you know, his famous last words were, such is life. So that's mm. usually how we sort of, you nice. know. It's kind of like, so it goes yep. from Slaughterhouse yeah. 5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably a better quote than, yeah, being from a hung bush ranger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That, that is interesting. It make, makes me want to look up that story. <laughs> um, and, you know, this is uh, definitely an Australian book. Neville Shute was, was a British author, I think, who moved to Australia, right? Yep, that's yep. right. Um, do, you, do you know anything in particular about him or the book that you want to share? Uh, well, it's, it's he based it around Melbourne um, because uh, – it was the most populous city at that point in Australia's history that um, given the oh. scenario he was thinking of that, cause he had traveled around Australia a bit. He had um, written another book. I think it was before this, um, a town like Alice, which is talking about yeah. um, Alice Springs, which is right near um, Uluru. Um, 
uh, or as was previously called Ayers Rock um, in the middle of Australia. So, um, yeah, that's the only real sort of insight I can sort of give at the moment um, into um, his sort of relationship with Australia. But, yeah, at that time, even though Tasmania was further south, Melbourne um, and Sydney were the two biggest um, cities in Australia at that point. So And as we've been kind of trading messages back and forth, just Michael and I have been doing that, um, I had I had said, you know, um, we'll need you to tell us, you know, how Australian this is. And, and <laughs> you've, you've been saying, but for me, it's different too, because that, the Australia of that time is very different to what I know now. Right. Yeah, for, very for 50 much years so. ago. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and to pick up on James's point, um, back at that time, um, we didn't use the metric system. Um, hmm. We um, didn't have our own locally produced cars. Um, and um, a lot of our media and culture and the sort of, um, uh, or at least the white part of Australia was very English based. I know mm-hmm. that, um, you know, um, yeah, so that was sort of the reason why I thought it was just weird even going back and looking back at it from that perspective that everything was in gallons and, you know, there was no <laughs> holding cars and, you know, miles and, and everything else. Um, the really interesting one looking back was um, the Prime Minister that was elected just before um, I was born. Um, one of his big selling points was getting um, a lot of Australia onto um, plumbed indoor or indoor toilets until that time oh, wow. it makes us yeah it makes us sound like a third world country but i swear <laughs> we're not but um yeah um but i still remember my grandmother's house that um had the outdoor toilet that had been obviously decommissioned but um yeah that they still had that person that come around to do that sort of things and my father even remembers when they were um, switching over to that so yeah it was literally like you know um as the saying goes um the past is a foreign country, and, and in my case, it's even foreign to me. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> well, the, the English background explains the pink chins then. <laughs> mm. Very much so. But even the drinking culture, James, was completely different back then. Um, I know in places in the book that um, um, uh, the characters talk about um, the um, ladies' uh, bar, the, literally if mm-hmm. um, you and Emily went into an Australian bar at the time, um, uh, or with Natalie oh, and I, yeah. we, you and I would go to one bar right. and, and Emily and Natalie would go off Another to a completely yep. different right. bar. And even, oh, I can see the expression <laughs> on uh, Colin's face, it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the bars closed at 6 p.m. So they had what they called the six o'clock swill, which was basically people <laughs> downing as many beers as they could <laughs> before the bar shut. Right. Oh, man. <laughs> So um, to say that the Australian drinking culture and our drinking age is 18 is completely different to America um, is a little Don't bit think, of an understatement. Yeah. Gosh. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that's what my, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law do, except they live in Saudi Arabia. Oh, that's okay. right. So yeah. they aren't allowed to walk side by side or hold hands. If they go to a restaurant, they go to mm-hmm. different tables or different parts of the restaurant. Uh, yeah. You can buy female clothes, but there's no place to try them on there. You have to take them home and then bring them back. Mm. Um, so they have a good returns policy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I bet everybody gets in their steps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, like I grew up in Anchorage and I had a friend who uh, they had like a one of those weird toilets that 
not like a composting toilet, like the, a forebear of a composting toilet. Like they didn't have a regular, they didn't have regular plumbing. Was it a house. bucket? It was sort of like a bucket with a lid. Yeah. Bucket. <laughs> but, you know, both uh, Anchorage and San Francisco and the Bay Area and, right. and the, the Pacific Northwest and Australia all factor in these books and movies. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I call BS and all the San Francisco parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the anchorage parts were not super. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Uh, so let's let's start by talking about the book. Um, and I, you know, this the book was actually a kind of a, a huge bestseller for Neville Shute. Um, and I don't do you, do you happen to know anything? And Michael, we can cut this if you don't um, about about like the impact of of this book in Australia. Um, I think Neville Shute was pretty well regarded in Australia. Um, I, I, it's not a book that I've seen a lot of. It's not like you walk into everyone's house and everyone's got a copy, mm. but I think everybody's is sort of familiar with it. Probably more around Melbourne, I would guess, obviously because it was filmed there and whatnot. So um, yeah, but um, I think yeah, he was pretty well regarded in Australia simply because he was telling um, sort of our sort of stories rather than. You know, um, I found with his writing that it, it didn't feel very English. It just felt like mm-hmm. an Australian story. Okay. So. That's cool. Yeah, and I don't yeah. think I have the uh, the palette <laughs> to be able to determine that. <laughs> so probably a good idea to, to give a little bit of a – in case anybody hasn't read this book because – Right. I, it's not one I think that is typically like in an American high school English curriculum. No, yeah. Um, I don't think I've heard of it until Michael recommended it. So. Yeah, so I, I did want to talk about previous history. This is the first time for you two? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And Michael, is this your first time reading it? Yeah, I mean, I was aware of the movie, but um, and I think I might have been aware of the book, but it was just yeah, something that I, I was tangentially aware of, so... Okay. Wasn't something that we studied in school. Okay. So I'm the only one who had previously read the book. That's kind of funny. Oh, really? Um, yeah. How uh, did you previously read this book? <laughs> I don't remember how, how I came across it. It was just one of those oh. things I picked it up from the library and read okay. it years ago. And um, cool. And yeah, I, I enjoyed it back then. I I, mm-hmm. I have to admit, I think I enjoyed it more on, on a read, on re-read. reread just because the first time you're reading it, you might think, well, maybe there's some hope. <laughs> so if you're going to pick this one up, the big spoiler is no, there is not. So you're going, if you're going to enjoy this book, you're going to have to enjoy it uh, understanding that. Did, and did you remember parts of it when you were rereading it? Did it? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, but it didn't. It in didn't broad strokes, I remembered you. everything. I remembered the car racing. Oh, okay. I, remembered, right. I remembered how it ended. Gotcha. Um, I remembered the, you know, the submarine and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. You remember how wrong they were with all the submarines? I never knew that part, and you, you will have to—you'll have to tell us that because we, we have you to be to be our source for that, and we have Michael for any inaccuracies about Australia um, mm. in, in the movies, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, it is an interesting point, Michael, that like the the idea that the past is a different place, right? Um, because things change. Mm. What I. I had mentioned this to Colin the other day, like the major dates in Australia. When when did Australia become kind of its own thing? Okay, so a bit of a history lesson. There we go. The, the states that um, became Australia united January 1, 1901. So okay. that's literally the beginning of Australia. Um, before that, the states were their own colonies. So New South Wales, where I live, is a, was a colony. Um, the... Um, Queensland was a colony, Victoria was a colony, and that sort of thing. Um, hmm. 
So it was, yeah, 1901, January 1, we became Australia. Um, 1966 is when we um, lost all of the pounds and shillings and whatnot and went with uh, Australian dollars. Yeah, that's it. And um, 74 was when we stopped. I had to actually look it up because 1974 was when we um, stopped using (laughs) imperial um, liquid measurements, which is why my grandfather and my father probably still are, you know, gallons of this and I'm like, Yes. Yeah. It's mind your P's and Q's. <laughs> a pint's yeah. a pound the world around. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So so much so that people of like our, our generation um, here will sort of know inches and uh-huh. and miles to a bit, just so we can talk to you know to the older people and just say, Well look, you know, it's about three feet and I can sort of guess how long <laughs> three feet is. Right. Yeah, so it's about a meter. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I, I feel like in, in England they do the same thing where they, they, they say right. both miles and, and kilometers depending on Well, they do depending on what you're talking about in your context. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. Which is ironic weird. because they're, we call it imperial measurements here. Right. So. And they're right. on metric systems. Yeah. America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, so, Michael, why, oh, why sure. don't you, you tell me like what was your experience like reading this book? I actually didn't mind it, um, <laughs> simply coming from a local perspective that um, with as the book progresses with the um, with the radiation coming down the coast, it was um, it was good because I could um, it would drop names like Port um, Darwin or Cairns or Brisbane or Sydney. and you know um, even if I hadn't traveled to those places, I get an idea of okay, it's still coming down. Hmm, so right. um, yeah, so it was just, and I think the way that um, he sort of wrote the characters uh, where that they were, um, they seemed pretty authentic as well. I mean, the people were just sort of carrying on and all of the diversions were just diversions to take on, um, take their mind off what was actually coming and how different people reacted to it. Mm. Um, yeah, so, and I just, yeah, I found a lot of it, sort of if I was going to use a phrase it would be like um John Wyndham's um uh Day of the Triffids where it mm. was like a cozy catastrophe yeah <laughs> I think I that's like the that. term they use with Wyndham because um I noticed that with the 2000 adaption it was very I don't want to say in your face but it was um compared with how and I don't know if that was a societal change between 2000 and 1959 or whether it was the writers trying to be more edgy or anything with the tv movie but it just yeah the the actual original book just felt like a cozy sort of um catastrophe where there were issues but they just sort of oh well and dealt with it oh um okay i've got to ride a bicycle to work well that's just what i've got to do sort of thing yeah yeah so and you know, for anybody who listening listening who hasn't read the book, it's it's about essentially there is a huge nuclear war that takes place with what what we call now salted nuclear weapons, where they they wrap mm-hmm. them in cobalt salts or something else um, that increases the the fallout. And right. in this book, it makes it so that essentially the fallout is just kind of working its way around the globe, and the last place it's getting to is is the poles, and so it's. Uh, well, yeah. Australia is mostly still unaffected. The fallout straight out global, which right. really yeah. 
I don't think I don't know that would happen in real life. It's not hard science fiction. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but, you know, to me, like the book is kind of the, about the mundane, mundaneness of apocalypse. Like here, the people in Australia, they didn't do anything to deserve Mm -hmm. dying this way. Right. It it was stuff that was happening a world away that ended up affecting them. I I thought the more pungent part about having that in Australia is that Australia isn't even a nuclearized country. Right. Mm. And I think there's another bit I can add to that because from an Australian perspective, I think, and also I don't know if Neville Shute intended this, um, there have been a lot of conflicts where Australia has been pulled into it by its allies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So World War One, uh, World War Two, right. Korea, Vietnam, obviously at that point they probably would have only went to Korea, but um, it's that whole thing of um, why are we having to deal with this thing happening in a far off place mm-hmm. where we had nothing to do with it. So, yeah. mm-hmm. which is a very, um, sort of Australian sort of attitude. It's, um, we can sometimes be very isolationist and say, well, look, you know, let them deal with their stuff and we'll <laughs> yeah. just do our own thing here. So, yeah. and you know, the, um, I feel like, Good science fiction holds a mirror up, right, and says, "Here, here is you. You, you are in this mm-hmm. mirror, and and in this, you know, we're we're holding the mirror up to nuclear powers and saying, right? Do you really want to be, you know, is it that important for you to win, uh, to to take us to the point that we can destroy ourselves ten times, hundred times, <laughs> thousand times over? Um, I I had uh, David Brin on my podcast a while back, ostensibly to talk about a book. Mostly, we talked about <laughs> David Brin, <laughs> and um. And we talked about his book, Vivid Tomorrows. It's about Hollywood uh, movies, science fiction and movies. Mm-hmm. And he talks in there about the the self-preventing prophecy as opposed to a self-fulfilling prophecy, where mm-hmm. he says that it's important and science fiction has this role of presenting scenarios so that we avoid them. Right. And, and that's, you know, this kind of book yeah. is, is one of those. That's what I think I liked about the release of the 1959 movie is that they, uh, they released it all over the world, mm-hmm. even in Soviet Russia at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And we didn't have a nuclear exchange yet. Um, right. <laughs> so maybe it worked. Mm-hmm. Well, John F. Kennedy quoted the book in, in at least one of his speeches. Mm. And they think that they may have had some, that it may have something to do with not escalating quite as strongly during the Cuban Missile Crisis mm. because he had a chance to think about what what's the scenario if right. we stand up to this and handle it in a particular way versus another way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it was going to. Kind of cool that way, you know, the way they did the release, and yeah, yeah, and just kind of put it in front of everybody's face, like, here's what could happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you think of the book, James? I like the book. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed the uh, the pink gins. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of conspicuous alcohol consumption in this book. <laughs> but I, I, um, I actually appreciated Dwight. And him not taking advantage of Moyer as he probably could have. And, yeah. uh, you know, he seemed like an honorable dude at that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and how the, the different perspective and how you, how, how do you handle impending doom? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's very like keep calm and carry on kind mm-hmm. of, kind of thing, right? Everybody's yeah. like, there's nothing we can do about it. There's yeah. nothing, there's, there's nothing to fight. Living. Yeah. Right. And so then it's just a, a question of if you yeah. keep going and until the end, right? The book does hint that there were some times of, drunken mm-hmm. debauchery that had happened in the in the recent past right um and which, but which it seems sure, like everybody who's still around <laughs> is just like well stiff upper lip you know yep it yeah. was very fatalistic that way yeah i mean 
we've we've talked about this, right? It's uh it's a reality everybody faces, right? Everybody mm-hmm. we we all know memento mori, right? Know Ooh. that you will die. Um and it's just in this case they're they're given a date. Uh, <laughs> right. Approximate date, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and some people in the book say, you know, I kind of like that I know. Right. Because it was always it's always it's been this specter that's been haunting me my entire life and now I know, you know, the approximate date and well, I guess that's the question, right? Would you rather know or not know? <laughs> but if you can plan for it. <laughs> that reminds yeah. me of a, an episode of Cheers where I can't remember. I think it's Cliffy who mm-hmm. like, uh, knows how everybody's going to die. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and he's like, you know, Sammy always figured, you know, you'd, you'd get killed by a jealous husband, you know, and, and, and Fraser and, and Fraser goes, uh, Cliff, I, I don't want to know. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> um, but yeah. there was an interesting thing that I did pick up in shoots writing, though, of um, trying to think of the Australian naval adjunct's name, um, but um, the way that he related to his daughter, because I noticed um, throughout the book, he always refers to his daughter, Jennifer, as the baby. Yeah, or it. Right. Yeah, 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 or yeah. it. Well, I guess, yeah. Peter doesn't use the word it, but in all the, narr- in all the prose sections... Mm. It is used, but, but yeah, mm. he does say the baby, right? He rarely says yeah. her name. No, no. Yeah. So, and I don't know whether that's the fatalistic part of it, where he he knows what is coming, and he just can't sort of bring himself to sort of say her name because right. of that whole reason, because that would make it so real in yeah. in his eyes. So. Well, and he thinks he's facing it more straight on than his wife is. Right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's trying to like maintain the distance, I think, between him and the, his child, I guess, to make it easier to deal with what he feels he'll inevitably have to do because Mary won't be able to. Yeah. Yeah, that whole Peter-Mary relationship in the book, that was... Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I liked, I liked the way that was done probably in the book better than the, the movies, and either movie really, but mm. we'll get there eventually, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> like a lot of the people in the book are kind of living in a fantasy land, right? Mm-hmm. On one hand, they've sort of intellectually accepted that this is sure. going to happen. Well, yeah. But emotionally, they're not They're not just constantly dwelling on it. They're not constantly mm-hmm. talking yeah. about it. And so Mary's making plans. Can Can you take down one of those trees so we can put a, a bench seat out there? Right. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and look at these lovely flowers we can plant and, and yeah. planning for years in the future. <laughs> um, but it's the kind of stuff that people do in dire situations. You, you hear stories of people yeah. doing that um, you know, in war when they've been grievously wounded. Mm-hmm. Or even Julian's mum, when she knows the end is close, um, she's more worried about the dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, bless her cotton socks, she's just worried about <laughs> what's going to happen to, you know, the uh, poor little dog. And, you know, that's, that was, um, I wouldn't say it was heart-wrenching, but I was sort of like, you know, read it and was, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, and that's that's the most difficult thing too, you know. I, I mean, like as as a father, like the the question of w- when when Peter's talking to Mary and says, "Look, right. you have to face up to this because what if what if our baby outlives us? Then what's what's that going to look like? Where, where are we really going to leave her to suffer with no right. one to comfort her? Um, and and that against the the other side of or, or we euthanize her so <laughs> right. she um, she doesn't have to suffer that way." Um, so it's it's a book that definitely puts hard questions to you. Yeah, yeah. Colin, how'd you do? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you mentioned, you know, having the whole you know, I've I've been born in the United States, I've lived here my entire life, I've gone abroad a few times, but 
when I think about, you know, what you know, the United States has this weird role in the world where mm-hmm. we're the most technologically advanced. We get pulled into certain conflicts one way or another. Maybe we shouldn't be there. Maybe we should. Mm-hmm. Then if we don't show up, people say that we should have been there. And if we go, people say that we shouldn't. Right. And this was the first time I really had the perspective of saying, well, what would it be like to be you know, an Australian person to wonder, well, all these big guys around me have nuclear weapons and biological weapons. And if they do anything stupid, I have to pay for it. Yeah. And that, that was a, an amazing thing. Yeah. Well, and in this one too, like, isn't it like Albania? kicks off the war right. or something. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. Like, something like one of the least crazy. likely places. Um, and I think that's deliberate, right? He didn't, mm-hmm. he didn't pick, uh, you know, a hotbed of, of anything. He didn't have it started in Egypt or Israel right. or, um, or in the West or, or China, you know. And that's just yeah. kind of... Go ahead, Michael. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, but maybe that reflects history because, you know, going back to World War One, Right. You know, um, you know, um, <laughs> you know S- S- Serbia... Yeah, you would have expected right? <laughs> that Serbia would have, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, a good point, um, actually. Yeah. yeah, I guess, I mean, when you put it that way, it's very much in that in that vein of it's it's a spark, but there was already right. a, a powder keg ready to blow. Yeah. yeah. The groundwork was laid. They just needed the tipping point. Yeah. I do think it's interesting that, you know, this is a book from the 50s that has euthanasia as a... <laughs> It's a major <laughs> subplot, you know, and, right. and, you know, way ahead of the debate with Dr. Kevorkian and that kind of stuff in the eighties. Hmm. Um, that's the way it was in the United States. Right. Um, right. Of course, right. the United States is a little off in terms of uh, some social issues. <laughs> well, it has this. been for decades, yeah. but it, it, the other thing I guess I got from the book was Australians seem very matter of fact, you know, the, the radiation is coming. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it. You can, suffer and die from radiation poisoning or you can end your life yeah and that's a little different thing than today where you know you can like in oregon you can casually have your life ended yeah um and then the question would be well did should you have done something different in this case it doesn't matter what you do the end is coming one way or the other yeah right and and there are end of life cases where you know it's going to come one way or the other it's a question of how you get there and yeah i like this quote from i think mora was asking white about how did it all happen and he says i mean if a if a couple hundred million people all decide that their national honor requires them to drop cobalt bombs upon their neighbor well there's not much you and i you or i could do about it the only possible hope would be would have been to educate them out of their silliness which didn't happen. <laughs> yeah it didn't happen and you know again every time we talk about this i'm like right we're not really out of the woods so. no yeah no we're heading back into the woods yeah. we came out of the woods a few well, we years back, there, but yeah, and hopefully we don't dip our toes back in there again. Mm-hmm. I don't, for me, like coming from the conservative Christian background that that I came from, you know, I never believed that nuclear war could happen. I never believed that we could destroy the world with climate change because I was told that God was in control and wouldn't let us do anything like that. Right, um, and that that you know, <laughs> there's things in the Bible that, that talk about how the world ends. And this is not how it ends. So therefore, we're all good. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, oh it's it's the kind of thing that I don't <laughs> I don't believe that way anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I think we really do have a responsibility to you know not blow ourselves up and right. not uh, not melt the ice caps. You know, your quote rings very true with the uh, 2000 adaption. The that intro bit, like the first what five minutes, yeah, or whatever. And the uh, the one guy that was defending 
uh, I guess the American perspective, or or at least not not maybe not defending, but presenting. Yeah, he was like, we have elections. We have elections. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we have the people that are going to vote us in or out of office, and we have to take that into account. Mm-hmm. In addition to, you know, the yeah, real world event, other people's perspectives outside of America. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, crap. So it's like <laughs> you know, all these other countries are beholden to what the American people believe or, yeah, believe. It did so on on a less moribund uh, kind of perspective. It made me start thinking about what stupid crap would I do if I knew I had like a month to live, <laughs> like skydiving. Sky yeah, maybe not without a parachute. Um, yeah, but th- th- thanks, Seth. Now all I can think of is one of the first scenes from Last Man on Earth, where he's in a child's waiting pool full of margarita juice, and there's a rim of salt around the actual waiting pool. <laughs> I'm not saying I would do it. I'm just saying that's the image that, you know. Oh, I definitely I, do that. <laughs> that's how you'd go out? Yeah. Yeah, He'd pickle yeah. himself. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Yeah. I, I did think one of the amusing things in the book was the guys in the, the like, country club or, or you know, gentleman's yeah. club. Not right. gentleman's mm. club, but. It was but the, yeah, country club. Yeah. yeah. Complaining about how this was really poor planning. We've got a whole bunch of really great port and we're not going to be able to even drink it all. <laughs> it, it'd be left for the aliens when they discover. Yeah. When they discover us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That gets back to that whole sort of Englishness of Australian society as well, the whole gentlemen's clubs that, you know, pride mm-hmm. themselves on things like, you know, never having a woman go through their doors and that sort right. of thing. So, and that stiff upper lip sort of yeah. thing. So, yeah, I've got a note here. It pretty much sums up Australia in the 50s, good English subjects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that is seriously written on um, a lot of documents I've seen of the time and earlier as oh, well. Wow. Um, yeah, so um, mm-hmm. I know I went through the war records for uh, my grandfather's cousin who served in World War One, and um, they were getting the medals back. And it, it, even with the long German surname, his mother literally had to write, "We are good English subjects." Mm. <laughs> so that's how that's how deep that stuff goes on or did go i should say yeah so i've got a question for you guys yeah. mm-hmm. what were the main words that tripped you guys up that you need a definition for oh, there was one early on <laughs> that I, I asked you about michael I, th- I think colin started asking about it and i was like no save it for the pod and i don't remember now <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks Seth. <laughs> so one was billy's yeah okay uh billy is literally a, a tin that's used for boiling water. So if you're out camping or something, you boil tea or you boil water in it. And it's about the size of, uh, I'm just trying to think, about yay round Mm. and about yay tie. Mm. It's um, kind of like your bog standard bucket, right? Yeah. Yeah, like three gallons. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not as big as a bucket because I think, bigger with a bucket but it's a, it's a lot smaller so it's a, small, okay. a small pot yeah, yeah paint can. that's it yeah thank you paint can yeah that's kind of what i was thinking as well yeah of course yeah, paint can's probably a good size those those are a gallon of course <laughs> at least in the u.s <laughs> i was i was going to walk back early, earlier and you you used the term gentleman's club in the united states that has a different connotation sure but uh but yeah that's it's another intricacy of the uh, english language in different countries yep uh, was you there anything else that you had written down? That for- well, I got two, and then I was told to save it for the pod, okay. and I had to read this three weeks ago. So <laughs> I just, I, well, I tuned them all out because I figured if I didn't need to know, they weren't necessary. Mm. Okay. Um, well, 
Do you want me to go through some, Colin? Yeah, teach me some slang. Okay. Oh, do we get to guess, though? <laughs> All right. Okay. Like, well, like a quiz? One. Ooh, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. First one is um, chook. Okay. I think I know this one. Chook? I, yep. I, th- I think this is chicken, right? Yep. It's a chicken. Yeah. Ooh. Yep. So um, to use it in its context, um, I'm just going down to the shops to buy a chook. So I'm going down to buy And that's C H O O K. Yep. That's okay. right. Um, uh, wireless. Oh, yeah. Radio. Radio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my mum still calls it the wireless. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's try to find some other ones. Uh, skinful. Skinful. Uh, like a handful? No, that'd be like a, no. like a belly full, right? Um, yeah, sort of, of like have drunk a lot. Like, yeah, um, yeah. James and I had a skin full, yeah, which means right. we got oh, very, like the very, skins very, very Yeah. Like wine like, skins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Or, or you've literally had that much that, you know, your, alcohol your skin's coming out your pores. <laughs> <laughs> People can smell you coming. Right. <laughs> but with the slang, I can definitely uh, teach you a really good one column, which is fair dinkum. Ah, fair dinkum. Okay. Fair, fair dinkum means um, it can mean multiple things. I was explaining this to a co-worker who had emigrated from Vietnam and fair dinkum can be um, yeah, uh, James's uh, Batman t-shirt. is um, he, It's got the DC label on it. It's a fair dinkum Batman shirt. It's not a knockoff. It's a mm. it, it's uh, fair dinkum. It's like the real McCoy. Yeah, um, but also it can be used as an expression of, um, oh, really, you know. Um, Seth says, oh, I went out and played disc golf and I, you know, I got this really great score. And, oh, really? Fair dinkum, mm. you know. Oh, authentically? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, really? Yeah, I, I remember like, a Paul Hogan television commercial for some vacation thing. And he said, you know, America, you need a, you need a holiday, a fair dinkum holiday. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, have you have you ever read um, "The Moon Is a Harsh Mistress" by Heinlein? I think I I think I started it in high school, but didn't finish it. Okay, because there's a supercomputer there that's an AI mm-hmm. called Mike Mycroft um, that they refer to as a Dinkum Thinkum, oh. and it's got <laughs> okay. it's got to have some common um, you know like, like a big thinker right, right. Is, is what they okay. yeah yeah or a real thinker mm-hmm. yeah that's oh, that's funny. Uh, so, um, but the only other things I really had to look up as well were things like um, uh, gripe order that they gave Jennifer. I, I had literally no idea what gripe order was, but apparently it's um, something you can put dill and some other herbs into water and feed it to babies and it helps with colic. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, and there was one more. The other one was um, muslin cloth, um, using that to separate the um uh, the milk oh, from yeah, oh, the curds in the, the, the way yeah. oh, it's like yeah, cheesecloth like yeah. cheesecloth yeah yeah, yeah. but butter mm-hmm. butter muslin yep. was used to separate buttermilk from milk and strained stock so there was a lot of things that i just went literally i had no <laughs> idea what this is yeah like anybody who's ever the, like dressed sets for a play right. muslin is what you use yep. to cheaply cover between mm-hmm. you know wooden supports and that kind of stuff and then right. you paint it to look like concrete well i'd look up what a pink gin was and then I found it, and I like it. What is a pink gin? <laughs> it's a gin with bitters, shaken over ice and strained into a glass. Does it change colors? It does, because the bitters cool. are a dark red. Yeah. And when you when you mix it, it turns pink mm. when it's diluted with the gin. So pink cool. gin. Nice. Now, Michael, I think it was before we started recording, you were talking about the 
the native gin there Ooh. is, I mean, do you know something about that? Would that have been what, what Moira was drinking? Um, I think just a lot of Australians just drink any sort of gin and tonic, to be honest. <laughs> okay. but, um, yeah, I know that makes us sound like a whole um, whole um, country of yobbos, but, um, <laughs> and, but there we go. There's your bonus Australian <laughs> phrase. Um, but no, I think it was sort of in that whole English sort of... Um, yeah, the, the history of the pink gin is actually in the Royal Navy because okay. bitters would help you with seasickness. Oh. But bitters are really bitter, mm. so they dilute it with gin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, instead of water. Know. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I don't even know what bitters are. But. Oh, they're um, something you put into alcohol. I know. Yes. I know that part of it. So. <laughs> well, actually, in Australia, Colin, um, the, the second highest um, soft drink ordered um, when we usually go out for dinner somewhere or something after Coke is a thing we call lemon, lime, and bitters. Which is yeah. basically, um, and Seth, it's it's a total. I wouldn't say it's a mocktail, but you, I, re- I reckon you'd like it. Um, Zero proof, right? <laughs> well, no, um, it's Almost. basically lemonade with a bit of lime juice and um, the Angostura, a couple of shakes of the Angostura yeah, bitters. Right okay, yeah. the yellow cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a basically it's a bunch of herbs, so you can have multiple kinds of bitters. You can have orange bitters, which are made out of like orange peel. Angostura bitters are a particular herb blend. Mm. Uh, a lot of them have like some sort of bark in them. Mm. And you soak them for a really long time in, uh, I think I think they're actually soaked in alcohol. Okay. But over time, the alcohol um, breaks down, so it's not alcoholic. Okay. And it's just, it's like a digestif. So it, it okay. can help you like settle your stomach or help you help your digestion. Mm. Or put the seasickness thing, help you balance that out. Hmm. Um, See, when I was a kid, 7-Up was the yeah. recipe for an upset stomach. <laughs> yep. Or ginger ale. Yeah. Or Pepto-Bismol. But it would be well. a way to make a not-so-sweet thing, like what Michael was saying. Yeah, that sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah. So. yeah, it sounds better than what my grandmother's cure was for a lot of things, Seth, which was basically two drops of eucalyptus oil on a spoonful <laughs> of sugar. Mm. And I was in the chemist with Natalie the other day, and I picked up a bottle of um, eucalyptus oil, and it says... Highly toxic. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, it was only a couple of drops, but I'm thinking to myself, wow. Mom was so, trying to kill you. What, no, no, mom? grandmother. Grandmother was. <laughs> my mum had her own different set of tricks. It was, yeah. So it's, yeah, that's why life is so matter of fact, mate. At any time, we could be just taken out, even by a family. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, to, to be fair, like the, the generation of – uh, remedies for when you know Colin and I were kids, uh, they were mostly vile uh, and mm-hmm. and you know cough medicine, anything like that. Like I I told my son at some point, I, I I said I think cough medicine back then they made it taste so bad you wouldn't fake an illness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, where now now it all tastes like candy. So yeah, yeah. But usually when something's done wrong, you're like, oh, it tastes like cough syrup. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> It has that fake cherry flavor. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, okay. We, we haven't talked about the book in a while here. Um, but thank you, Michael, for, for the, uh, the primer on some uh, Australian slang. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting in the book is that here Dwight shows up and uh, Peter and Mary are nice enough to have him to their home to just kind of get away mm-hmm. from it, right? And they bring in Moira with the idea that she will comfort him. And he kind of turns it around and comforts her because he Ooh. doesn't treat her the way – she expected that he would treat her. Right. Um, 
and and I, so that's why reading the book, I just kind of found it sort of sweet um, that people were being good to each other. Um, mm. And you don't really see that drunken debauchery stuff. The closest you get to that is like the the, the car races, right, where people are just right. just blowing it yeah. all out, right. Which again, I totally get. I thought of you, James, at some point because I wrote down what um, Moira's dad said uh, that uh, he preferred knowing when he's going out and he says, I'll have it here on this veranda in this chair with a drink in my hand. (laughs) Yes. But uh, I also like that um, that kindness that the white paid Moira as well. She paid back as well because Mm -hmm. she ended up getting the fishing season put forward a whole week. Yeah. Yeah, you know, she pulled a lot of strings, and with the um, with the pogo stick as well. Mm. So, um, yeah, I just um, I found that there was a case of um, yeah that she had that kindness and paid to her that other guys were obviously after other things. Yeah, right. and and Dwight was not interested in that. He was literally just trying to be a friend to her yeah. when he was dealing with his own stuff. So. Um, and she just repaid that back. Yeah, um, hey, she she could have told, told him to snap out of it. You know, no, your your well, wife and kid are dead, so let's just yeah. have a good time. Um, but yeah. instead, like she mm-hmm. like, I, did, she find the pogo stick or did she fix one up that she had? I couldn't. No, I think she found it. Uh, yeah, okay, she, she got it. Yeah, yeah. She she put in a lot of legwork mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I've been shopping in Melbourne. I know what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> and you still get regular deliveries of merchandise and everything. Yeah. Yeah. James, you had a, you had a tidbit for us on the name of the submarine. Oh yeah, the USS Scorpion. Why why is that name interesting? <laughs> One of two nuclear submarines to ever sink from the U.S. naval fleet and be lost. Yep, be lost. Yeah, for unknown reasons too. They don't actually know why. There's lots of theories, but Do they, they know don't where? actually know why. Yeah, they know where. It's, okay. in, it's in the Atlantic. Okay, so uh, didn't, South Atlantic. We didn't South, get a reverse Red October done on nope. this. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But it sank 11 years after the writing of this book, which yeah. I thought was interesting. Yeah. And it was, uh, I think it was christened the year the movie came out. It was launched in 1959. That's wild. And it sank in 1968. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, so how, how shoot came up with the scorpion, I have no idea. <laughs> it's the curse. <laughs> yeah, he cursed it. He cursed it. <laughs> there were a couple of things, you know, a couple sort of lighter moments. Um, James kept getting a crack up out of the... Uh, First naval member. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, Indeed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I liked, you know, at some point Dwight is uh, is notified that he is now the, like, oh, the he, supreme he commander. the of supreme the, commander of the, <laughs> the U.S. Navy. And he said, Dwight had found himself presented with a gray painted Chevrolet with leading seaman Edgar as the driver. He used it principally for going to the club for lunch or driving out to Harkaway to walk beside the bullock as they spread the dung while the leading seaman shuffled silage. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he came up in the world and obviously didn't let it go to his head. A humble man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or as we call it in the public service, other duties as required. Yep. <laughs> I, one thing that I liked is the vendetta of some of the, the Australians against the knowledge that the rabbits will outlive them. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you well, said that, that because I was wondering whether you guys were going to figure out what Mixo was. Mixo? Because yeah, he mentions um, uh, Mixo, which is basically myxomatosis, which was um, a thing that was put out into the environment to kill the rabbits. Mm. 
around in the fifties, oh. and um, yeah, it's it's really done a bang up job because we've still got rabbits, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and mix <Whoops>. up. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. That's actually a very good point, Colin, because I know that um, talking to the older people, I know that um, when we had like a, a, a we call it a cost of living crisis, they called it a depression. Um, they would literally hunt the rabbits, and you know, it'd be free free meat. And um, yeah. they could sell the pelts and stuff, but now because of Mixo, you know, people mm, yeah. can't do that. So, oh, that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> that's terrible. More sustainable than beef, certainly. Definitely. Yeah. Not as tasty. You guys, ah, so you've had rabbit. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, rabbits yeah. are good. I think I think per pound rabbits like one of the cheapest things you could have for meat. Mm. Yeah, because they don't require as much feed. They reproduce so quickly, and they grow so quickly to a size that you can actually harvest a decent amount of meat from them mm. with very little effort. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But if I smoke you a batch of rabbit ribs versus a batch of beef ribs, well, you will know the that. value of waiting for your beef ribs to grow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't think I've ever actually eaten rabbit ribs. I just go for the legs. Yeah. <laughs> I've only ever had rabbit meatballs. So, I've I've had things like you know caribou uh, and moose and you know the the, the alaskan fauna right um, okay uh anything else we want to talk about about the book we've been going for quite a while about right. the book and and uh australian slang yeah, and it was a good book that. yeah <laughs> yeah i enjoyed it and, and i think it did help for me at least going in right i i knew that there was no bright mm-hmm. thing happening at the end right i knew i knew that i knew how how it ended and and so i was just kind of able to enjoy the how they got their part i feel like i might have been disappointed if there was a bright ending mm. just you know Exploring how people dealt with the end and then not having an end like that'd be kind of yeah. I, I mean, there there are no other offense, sorry, <laughs> there are other fiction properties right that have a quote end of the world right, but mm-hmm. it's more the typical end of the world. It's the end of the established order, right? And then you go on, right? Yep. And and so like a last Babylon, right? They they mm-hmm. there is that fatalistic moment at the end where the guy flies in and says, yeah, yeah, we won the war. Not that it matters um, right. because everything's yeah. <laughs> Everything's crap now, mm-hmm. um, but um, we've destroyed the planet. But but the people that we were with in that kind of cozy apocalypse, or like in Day of the Triffids, right? They survive. They they mm-hmm. live to face Ooh. another day. Where in this one, it's yeah, you know, there isn't that there isn't a lift to it, right? At right. the end, no, no, it, it goes everywhere. And I even um, highlighted a bit towards the end um, that made me think of you guys, which was there's nothing in the state of Oregon. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yep. they're, they're using all the Australian place names. And, I, and I'm saying, okay, I can visualize it coming down the coast. Yeah. It's coming further, coming further. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, there's nothing in the state of Oregon. Like, oh, okay. So you guys are also, you know. Yep. Yep. We're screwed. <laughs> yep. So I think it was just that inevitability that there wasn't any sort of, yeah. um, you know, glimmer of hope. It was literally, you know, it was like a, a period at the end of the sentence, you mm-hmm. know, the end, full stop sort of thing. Yeah. So uh, it was adapted twice, 1959 movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not write down who directed it, um, but Stanley Kramer. Stanley yeah. Kramer. Right. That's a big name. Yeah. yeah. Um, starring Gregory Peck, Ava Gardner, Anthony Perkins, very young Anthony Perkins uh, from Psycho. And Fred and Astaire. Fred Astaire. Which uh, yeah, when Fred I saw Astaire. that, I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. Um, is, is there any music or tap dance in this movie? <laughs> I started watching the movie and I thought, did I miss something? Because like I expected there to be title cards or something, and it yeah. just boom, cold opens in the sun. Right. Yeah, actually, I kind of like the way they did the, the beginning credits because this is with the boat sailing. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, then the, cool the score comes up and it's heavily, you know, it's waltzing Matilda, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which caused me a little bit of trauma just because uh, <laughs> growing up, I had a stuffed koala. Um, huh. That uh, not not a real one, just a plush, <laughs> just in case. No texture involved. No, no. Um, <laughs> with a music box in it, and you wound it up, and it played Waltzing Matilda. Mm-hmm. And um, this is what I would, if I would wake up in the middle of the night after a nightmare, I would wind it up and play it. And my 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 mom said I I always knew when you had a nightmare, um, oh, yeah. which was frequent, right? Um, because she would hear Waltzing Matilda, hear that, and so mm-hmm. so this whole time, <laughs> just like this is the, this is the music of my bad dreams. Oh man. <laughs> I mean, it's comforting too. That's the thing. Right. So. Um, the, the the scary thing is, Seth. Do you know the lyrics to "Waltzing Matilda" and I what did, it's about? I, I did look them up. Um, okay. Why, why don't you uh, enlighten us? Um, basically, it's a story about a um, traveling person. I, I don't want to say hobo because it's probably just someone that travels, working on different um, country properties and whatnot, who has stolen a sheep. And the police find him and he basically says, well, I've got your sheep. I'm not giving it back. I'd rather die. And he jumps into a local like water hole and drowns. (laughs) And and, yeah, so so when Seth has shared his story about a nightmare, I'm like going, oh, okay. Well, sure. (laughs) But but that song kind of became like an unofficial song. you know, sort of national anthem almost, right? Yep. Yeah, pretty much because um, Advanced Australia Fair, there's two songs you can guarantee that most Australians will at least know the first verse of. Um, One is Advanced Australia Fair and the other one's Waltzing Matilda. Mm. And there is a very interesting cover of it in the style of um, Eminem's um, Cleaning Out My my Closet (laughs) called um, Cleaning Out My Tucker Bag. (laughs) (laughs) I highly recommend having a listen. Okay, yeah. I will definitely do that. Um, and this movie will teach you at least the melody um, of, of parts of mm. Waltzing Matilda and some of the chorus uh, that is drunkenly sung over and over and yeah. over. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're not subtle with the messaging, I believe, with that song. No, no, definitely not. Well, it goes perfectly with the movie then. It does, yeah. True. Um, mm. it, Stanley Kramer was known for doing controversial movie topics. And this was the first Hollywood movie that dealt with the topic of nuclear Armageddon. Right. So I wouldn't doubt that it was, you know, part of science fiction since the mid forties, but as far as the general public getting a hold of it, yeah, this would have been the first chance. I don't think the movie did very well though. Did it? Uh, it lost Mm $700,000, but because of the issues that it dealt with, it kind of has a, I wouldn't say underground cult following, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I pulled it from the library Yeah, 60 years later, so it's still around. Mm -hmm. I was just impressed with the way it was released when I read about that. Yeah, all around the world. Yeah. Yeah, That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, 78% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Which says a lot. Mm. Yeah. The the movie, both movies kind of zoomed in on some of the stuff from the the book. Um, And... I think this one's a pretty close adaptation. It does some trimming, right? Yeah. It, it consolidates down to only one sub cruise, only one race. Um, mm-hmm. But but in broad strokes, it, it kind of adapts the, the main story, makes a few changes here and there. Um, it wasn't a nuclear submarine, though. <laughs> in this, in this, in the book? In 1959. The movie. The movie was a diesel boat. It was, okay. Yeah. Mostly because they wouldn't, the uh, U.S. Navy wouldn't allow them to fill on an actual nuclear submarine that 
the time. Yeah. Which, that does make sense. Kind of makes sense at the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's a stand-in. It's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. <laughs> but like it, it stuck out to me in, in this movie, and maybe it was Gregory Peck's performance because he's this very kind of dignified actor, mm-hmm. that his caring for Moira was sort of his proxy doing what he would have done for his wife. Right. Um, and and that, was, that was his way of sort of caring for his wife mm-hmm. was caring for Moira. Um, and, and so I, yeah. I found that affecting. Um, this is not a movie that I think was shot on location. Is that right? Michael? Uh, uh, it was um, shot, yeah, no, it was shot in Melbourne. Um, oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was shot all over, um, I think, on the whole. Um, some of the sets, um, there was a YouTube video I did find of a guy in Melbourne going back to um, some of the locations, and okay. some of them he could get to and some of them he couldn't. Um, but a lot of them were. I think they shot a lot on Sundays, um, and um, so they could actually get the streets of Melbourne um, pretty um, sort of deserted as they were. Right. But it, um, no, but the whole thing with Moira as well, though, um, I, I think that was a huge bone of contention between Stanley Kramer and Neville Shute because in the novel, you know, it's all um, the relationship between Dwight and Moira is so above board. Right. You know, it's it's actually really touching. Um, but in the in the movie, it's in in it's implied that Moira and um, Dwight slept together, and that was a huge bone of contention mm. with Neville Shute. And I think it even caused him to mm-hmm. just get so wound up about it um, that he uh, got, made himself sick or something. I was saying, he died, right? Yeah, he died yeah. a month after yeah. the movie was released. Yeah. Well, oh, okay, gosh. yeah. <laughs> now, whether that was the, the true cause or not, hard to tell. <laughs> well, It's not on the death yeah. certificate. <laughs> Do you want to make a non-canonical movie? You want to kill the author? I mean, come on, people. Let's, let's be considerate here. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> no, because it was just, yeah, I think it was just an absolute bone of contention with him. He just felt so strongly about it. Um, <laughs> Quote unquote that, bone of contention. Sorry, you lobbed it up there, Michael. Um, no, that's all right. I, I'm I doing mean, James's work for him. <laughs> to be fair, I feel like the screenplay does, uh, does kind of the legwork to make you perhaps able to accept that because it has him um, before they go on the cruise, mm-hmm. he tells Moira, I, I just can't accept that my family is dead. Right. I, I can't, I can't get past that. And that's, you know, that's what's keeping me from, from anything. And then they go on the, on the cruise and they go to, was it San Diego Sa- in that movie? San Diego. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Instead of Seattle, what a ripoff. I know, right? So, <laughs> I mean, the weather is nicer in San Diego. I will say. True. Um, Not that it mattered. Not that it mattered. No. You um, can get a great suntan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then when he comes back from that, right, it's like like he has had closure mm-hmm. um, and says, I'm not a married man anymore. Um, and that's that's when he decides to, to hook up with Moira. And so, you know, right. I, I understood that decision, at least in the screenplay. It would be hard to sell a movie that doesn't have something in it, you know, some positive, like a relational development mm-hmm. or a redemption or something else. That's It's a hard yeah. sell. Yeah. I liked uh, Fred Astaire in this. Uh, his Julian uh, was was interesting. Um, you know, yeah. he, he he was a bit of a downer, <laughs> and Mary did not like him. No, um, and and she yeah. she I, I said I said Mary said your line. You know, there has to be hope. <laughs> um, but uh, but I liked when you know he had a moment with with Peter where he he told him he envied him because he had had you know a wife and a family. Right. But there's there's two sides to that, right? So now now you're stuck oh. at the end of the world. Having to die with, with your family life. and having yeah. to make those decisions, where if you were single, mm-hmm. you know you could just you know 
go in your car and uh, right and take your pill and and drift off, oh. right? Or yeah, or or die in a wreck or, or whatever. Yeah. You have more responsibility. I don't think he took a pill. I think he killed himself with carbon monoxide. Yeah, I think the movie does yeah. kind of do that. Yeah. Carbon yeah, that was Fred Astaire's thing. first purely dramatic role. No singing, no dancing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I, that's why I was like, what? Fred Astaire's in this movie? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Gregory Peck was actually one of the um, motivations for getting this movie made. Hmm. He was very yeah. anti-war and anti-nuclear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm cool with that. I didn't feel like this movie treated Mary terribly nicely. Um, no. Oh, just like the book. I, yeah, she's she's a little a little more irrational yeah. than her husband, right? In in both, but uh, I mean, she comes around at the end. But um, I feel I feel like she got more irrational as the adaptations went on. I didn't feel like she was that irrational in the book, and then she got more irrational in the first movie, and then more irrational in the second movie. She became an anti-vaxxer in the second. Yeah, movie. Like, we'll, we'll we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do feel like this movie pulls back a little bit from the end because it doesn't really show anyone dead. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. like yeah. if you know what's happening, you know that. Right. I mean, they say they're going to cruise the submarine back home, but really, what are they going to do? Um, yeah. I can't remember if it actually showed any pill taking or anything like that. It just sort of it was elliptical suicide. I think so. yeah. <laughs> dot dot dot. <laughs> so I felt a bit bad for Mary though at the party because we've all been at those parties where you yeah. know, everybody knows don't mention X, Y, and Z. Right. right. And then someone and comes in with the size yeah. ten chucker boots and just goes, Hey, what about X, Y, Z? Who invited you? Yeah. <laughs> Who invited you? You're fired. Yeah. No, so um, I did feel bad because there's always yeah, those social situations where, you know, we say don't mention that, you know, the whole rule of don't talk about, was it politics, religion, or sex? Um, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> so, but I did feel bad for us. So. Yeah. I'm surprised nobody saw the development of Anthony uh, Perkins' character. What from for, well, his job is to kill his wife and daughter, and then later on, he kills his mother and dresses up as her. And just, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could have turned that whole thing around if he hadn't done this one movie. Yeah, yeah, true. But I must admit, his accent was pretty on point for 1950s Australia. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing with this one is it like it's not super Australian. There's a couple characters that sound like they're from Australia, mm. but but then. But then you know, not so much, yeah. Then other people not so much. But you had a mixture of British and Australian, right? Yeah, there were some Australian actors in there, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Admiral yeah. sounded sounded like he was an mm. Aussie. But they were few and far between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but we didn't really have much of a film culture at that point as well. I mean, we had our own movies that we were making, but something like On the Beach was an absolute huge deal for Australia and also for the reasons that James was saying, to have a Hollywood movie actually filmed in Melbourne, um, even though um, our press sort of ran with it and said that Ava Gardner was misquoted as saying that <laughs> Melbourne was the perfect place to film a movie about the end of the world, <laughs> which was not actually a true statement. No, Jeff no, they said. totally made it yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, oh, that sounds good. I'll just put that in, you know. But, um, eh, why not? Yeah. It was good press, completely yeah. wrong and false, but... <laughs> Yeah, when does that stop? Good press. Yeah, it, yeah. Is, it is funny how much of a film culture though there's developing there now because you, you you have a lot of a lot of really well regarded oh, yeah. Australian actors. You got Lee yeah. Wanell uh, making good movies every few years and mm-hmm. good TV coming out of there too. So occasionally shows up on Netflix. Um, Michael, anything else you want to talk to say about that movie about the 1959 movie? 
Um, I thought the ending, like the very last shot, was really, really heavy-handed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, where they stick on that um, the the banner that they've got for the Salvation Army, right. I believe, oh, yeah. saying, you know, yeah. there's still time, brother, and it's like, okay, you've just shown this this whole <laughs> scenario of the world ending, and yeah. you you know that's your final shot. You know, it's like you're telling the audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I, apart from that, yeah, I, I I I didn't mind the movie. I thought yeah. it was um, yeah. Anthony Perkins, like I said, his accent was on point, and um, hmm. yeah, um, no, I think it was. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't say I enjoyed it, but I <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it was a good. Uh, it was a good adaption. It was a good adaption. Yeah. Apart from those little mm-hmm. changes. I, I uh, anytime anything has brother on it, I, I have to read it as Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> There's still time, brother. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think that was the tone they were going for. No, no, no. not. Uh, so the 2000 TV movie um, does something that I actually really like to see. Sometimes is when when they're like, "Hey, what what would it look like to have this movie in present day?" Mm. So brought into the present day, so you have to deal with. Well, th- that brings in things like the internet, where Mary can right. uh, do her own research. <laughs> yeah, IP packets. <laughs> because you believe those government scientists. Yeah. How, <laughs> how is the internet still a thing? I guess. Oh no! Satellites, L- localized writing, and routing, and yeah. closed, and servers, and hosting, and I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'll teach um, you about it sometime if you're curious. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> um, you know, the, it, it brings the geopolitical situation a little closer to home with, you know, it being mm-hmm. brinksmanship with China and, you know, the right. U.S. defending Taiwan and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It makes, you know, more obvious culpability, um, which comes around in an interesting way. With, when you yeah, find they, out. they never actually even discussed culpability in the 1959 movie. They never blamed anybody. No. Um, yeah. Uh, Julian suggested that it was a technological accident that the whole mm-hmm. launching happened. Right. Yeah. 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 But here it was, you know, versus yeah, the China launched movie. and then we counter launched. <laughs> yeah. Except for Dwight. You remember the uh, the George Clooney movie, The Midnight Sky? Yeah. Yeah. When he's he's talking to the the you know who ends up being his daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he he says, "Don't come back." You know, it, it, everything's bad here. It was a mistake. Right. Um, and that that reminded me, like, this could be a prequel. Uh, oh, <laughs> on the beach could be yeah. a prequel to that. Um, I mean. It is a mistake. Yeah. Just because people did it deliberately doesn't make it not a mistake. Mm-hmm. So the uh, this is a much more Australian movie because right. almost everybody <laughs> aboard that submarine faking an American accent was doing it very poorly. Um, <laughs> there are certain words that, that even like um, really good Australian actors with good uh, American accents like like uh, Yvonne Strahovski from, from Chuck and from mm-hmm. The Handmaid's Tale. There are some words still that she has trouble with. The word our, you know, O-U-R. Mm. that's that's a trouble spot every time because mm. it comes out ow yeah. you know mm. yeah. um and uh <laughs> and yeah just not it you know australian english is not as strongly rhotic obviously as american english is and mm. uh, that's a that's really a tough one no so. and a, a lot of them were tv actors and i don't want to sort of damn them with faint praise but yeah they were a lot of um a lot of TV actors. I mean, from the main cast, there was a lot of people I would have went, okay, I remember seeing you somewhere and I've been you somewhere. But it's not like, you know, um, it, it's not like um, Hayden Christensen's um, cameo right at the end of Harrison Bergeron where you go, oh, right, that person's going to be a big actor later right. on. And it's like, yeah, a lot of character actors. I forgot about that. Yeah. 
they have the same flying banner, only they removed brother. Right. right. There's still time. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a nice nod back to the movie. And to be clear, this was not a readaptation of the book. No, this was a readaptation of the yeah. the 1959 movie. Yeah, because it said yeah. based on the screenplay, based on the book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which was wrong. <laughs> and it got an award, just but wrong. you know, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. I didn't mind it because because of what they did, right? Where mm-hmm. where they they modernized it. They weren't adapting it to 1950s, right? Um. So so to me, that was that was totally. Yeah. That's how and you they, would do they it. They modernized their navy. <laughs> yeah, it was, even if it was wrong. <laughs> right. Okay. So so James kept track of all the wrong things <laughs> about the navy in this one because it was supposed to be a nuclear sub. It was supposed to be on a nuclear fast tech sub. Okay. What they showed was a nuclear ballistic submarine or a boomer. Right. So instead uh, of SSN, it should have right. been SB- SSBN. SSBN. There was never a SSN 70. Well, so there was an SSN 704. It's the USS Baltimore, mm. not the USS Charleston. The USS Charleston was never a submarine. It's a, uh, it was a surface ship. Um, okay. <laughs> that's several, it's been reused multiple times the name. Right. But anyway. Yeah, uh, captain and, aboard uh, a submarine is not usually captain. Their uniforms were all right? off. Their yeah. rank and insignia were all off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just to confuse people so they wouldn't get shot. Right. What, what I thought was interesting was that you know you would expect uh, a sub captain to to be in a commander right, in terms right. of rank, Correct. and that's yeah. what the Australian Authority guy called him was commander, but he had four bars, which yeah, is captain. which is off. Yeah, so. he he would have called him captain the entire time, even. Yeah. Well, on the ship, he would have called him captain. On shore, he probably would have called him commander. He right. should have called him captain because he had four bars. Right. He was the actual rank of captain. Right. But that would be a Usually, sub-commanders ship. are not rank captain. They're rank commanders. Yeah. So he should have had a silver oak leaf. <laughs> I would have just went with sir. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Works at every occasion. Yep. No, um, I, I can't say I was a huge fan of the 2000 adaption, but it's for a really weird reason. Um, okay. The guy that played Julian and the woman that played Moira are actually married. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I think they changed the whole dynamic to suit that they are married and playing those roles. Because I think in the original uh, yeah. book and the, the original movie, Julian is like a cousin or something to Moira. Yeah. 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 So having that change just because Brian Brown's playing Julian sort of um, – yeah, gave it an ick factor as well. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Well, especially when there's the weird love triangle going on between the yeah. three of them. Right. Where Julian wants her back, but Dwight is definitely being possessed about her, but then he doesn't show up until late. And so she goes, jumps in bed with Julian, and then Ooh. Dwight finds him together. And yeah, any port in a storm. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to die alone. Yeah. I. To me, like the biggest the biggest problem here is I I don't think Armand Asante is the right character mm. or actor to play Dwight. I think Dwight mm. should be someone a little more vulnerable. You know, I I like I I was thinking like Tom Selleck would have been perfect, but he's probably too old mm. by two thousand. True. So one when <laughs> another Neville shoot connection here is um, a town like Alice that you mentioned earlier, Michael, was adapted into a television miniseries that aired on PBS in the U.S. and um, oh, wow. and I was telling Colin we programmed our vcr to record it while we were on vacation um (laughs) and and then it was something because we had seen it before Mm -hmm. and my family really really loved it um and then the second time it came on we had a vcr and so we uh recorded that and that was something that we watched regularly and elaine's read the book actually and really loved it um so and yeah brian brown was was in that as well tom Selleck is several years older than armand asante yes yeah yeah 
Mm-hmm. Um, every time Armando Sante opened his mouth, I thought, wow, that was perfect casting for Sylvester Stallone's brother in, in Judge Dredd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of muttering. and yeah. <laughs> But also, the, um, to, not to tie it back into Judge Dredd, but I felt that he was all over the place as well yeah. because one minute he's like, you know, oh, you know, right. booze and steaks for everyone. No, we've got to go home. No, we've got to do this. And it, it was, yeah, so much flip-flopping rather than, like you were saying, Seth, the vulnerability of, you know, the difficult decisions. It was like. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I thought was interesting, um, because of the change of era, right? You maybe you want to change it so it's not a radio broadcast from Seattle, right? So mm-hmm. instead, it was a, oh, right. a an internet broadcast of yep. some kind yep. from Anchorage, Alaska. Um, and uh, one thing that James and I both liked in the uh, 1959 movie was the way they did the radio uh, broadcast yeah, cool. thing with the, yeah. with the you know the breeze blowing that. and the yeah. uh, the Coke bottle, cord. yeah, the Coke yeah, bottle, the Coke, yeah. the Coke bottle. Tipping the uh, jaw and shade. Yeah. yeah. No, that, I mean, that's that basically cool. what the book <laughs> relates, right? Yeah. Something like that. But I, I thought the, the I thought it was neat. It was, it was well enough. represented in the nice. movie. Yeah. And so then here with the with the, the solar panel charging up the laptop, right. it was kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the Coke bottle was focusing the light onto the auxiliary pad <laughs> yeah. and would wake up the laptop and it would try and send it. And, yeah. and then die. Yeah. And then the broadcast, when they finally got to watch it, was yeah. just heartbreaking. That was effective, yeah. Yeah, I, I will say during while we're watching the movie, I th- I thought, okay, it seems that they're representing that it's summer in Melbourne, um, Ooh, right? Yep. Um, and so it should be the dead of winter in Anchorage. <laughs> and if they pop up there and it's green and sunny, I'm going to be really mad. No, no it was snowy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It definitely looked like spring. It looked like spring snow. Yeah, <laughs> very much like spring snow. It's probably Vancouver. Yeah, um, but uh, but you know, I gave it credit that at least it was snowy. Um, I think that was a match shot. I think the <laughs> bottom be. half of the screen right. was Melbourne. I think the, I was going to ask how good it was. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that the weather was accurate for the top half of the screen, Seth. I yeah. really am. Yeah. No, I, I thought the sun was a little high in the sky, probably. Um, chances are if you surface in the winter in, in Anchorage, it's going to be dark. Um, you, you have like six hours where you can pop up and right. it's going to be sunny. Um, but uh, – yeah, I was okay with it. The remake worked for me a lot. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's the additional time or um, the, being more modern era instead of 1960s era or mm-hmm. 50s era, mm-hmm. but I was able to connect with the characters a lot more, and I found I was more interested in the movie than the 1959. I was definitely more interested in the movie. My, and, yeah, I, felt, yeah. I felt that too. And yeah. the, you know, the, the hatred against the people of the United States I thought would have been mm-hmm. really real. Right. You know? And the way the crowds acted seemed like it was very, mm-hmm. you know, the theft and the casual disregard for people. And yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it, and it it kind of was almost a you know the <laughs> I was like, oh, this is the Mad Max portion of the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the book hinted that there had been some of that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, maybe not Ooh. to that extent, but um, but I was kind of glad to to see it. There. It didn't take me as nearly nearly as many pink jeans to get through the 2000 movie as it did the 59 movie. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of ratio were we talking about? I mean, was it a small integer, a large Ooh, integer? Probably like five to one. <laughs> Whoa. Maybe you're just getting pink ginned out. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I like that the uh, the prime minister in the 2000 movie was played by the guy who played Barry Fife in Strictly Ballroom, oh. which is a hilarious <laughs> movie. <laughs> yeah, Bill Hunter. You couldn't get anyone else but Bill Hunter to play the prime minister. <laughs> He's yep. in everything. All or I can think of is 
with Scott Hastings and partner. <laughs> Please leave the floor. <laughs> that movie's awesome. It was funny, though, what you were saying, though, uh, Colin, about the 60s and stuff, because I thought musically it started off great with Nick Cave. And then instead of, um, and James can probably speak to this, I had, um, I can't think of what the song was, the 60s song that they played in the sub. Um, and I was thinking, you know, why is it not Louis Louis? Because I was thinking, <laughs> oh, yeah. James, James would probably say, isn't that a sea shanty, you know? Yeah. Money, money. Yeah, money, they were playing, playing Billy yeah. Idol, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, it wasn't. They couldn't, they didn't have the budget to afford Billy right. Idol. No, that's what they played in, in the 2000 sub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a knockoff. Right. Um, it was totally knockoff. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. the lyrics are in the. Okay, were, were the dudes saying. <laughs> I'm so horny. I'm so horny. (laughs) (laughs) That was kind of funny. Yeah. Which I did think was funny when Moira asked Dwight, it's like, so what do you guys do about sex? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a question people ask people on the the subject. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very Moira thing. (laughs) Yeah. I I had written down to ask James and then he volunteered the the answer to it uh, before I even asked, uh, you know, the special sauce, you know, is this, is this a thing? Oh yeah. We definitely had hot sauce battles underway. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Dave's insanity sauce, I think was always the winner. (laughs) I I also found that a bit weird as well because he's, um, Brian Brown's character is talking about curries and Mm. I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn whether, um, you guys don't really have like the Indian curry houses, Oh, yeah, like we do. It's right over there. Uh, yeah, our, our area has a substantial Indian population. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We even has a place that that will do a mashup of curries and pizza. That's right, curry and crust. Yes. Really? Oh, okay. yeah, you never I have still there? never been there. Oh, it's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's Indian fusion oh, pizza. That's but they, they, they have a regular old buffet and, right. and regular, yeah. you know, gulab jamun. And all I, I would say, generally speaking, you're spot on though, Michael. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. <laughs> Yeah, because it just sort of struck me. He's like going, oh, the curry isn't hot enough. I'm like, yeah, dude, you're on an American ship. Like, they ate curries. <laughs> oh, no, we didn't, we didn't have curry in the Navy. <laughs> no, if you had curry in the Navy, it's that skunky, yeah, awful exactly. yellow stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think I actually had really good curry until I uh, lived in London. I mm. went to yeah, yeah, yeah. East London. It's like, oh, amazing curry. Yeah, yeah. there's, there's yeah. good Indian places around here, but like it's not definitely universal around the United States. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. But when you when you're in the tech sector, you know, yeah. yeah, I don't think there's anything universal about the United States. True, <laughs> but it was good to see Brian Brown being taken down a peg. Yeah. <laughs> and Rachel Ward does it very well. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah, but even with the hot sauce, like you know, <laughs> oh, we yeah. had to talk a good game, and then basically yep. had the bolt. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So Seth, did you recognize the executive officer on the submarine? He looked familiar, but I couldn't place him. I had to look him up. He was one of the um, other ship captains from The Matrix, the second movie. Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, yeah. I have not seen the Matrix sequels very many times. I've seen the first Matrix maybe right. 50 times. But yeah. I, I thought it was interesting that they, they came out and said that Dwight didn't fire his missiles or his, his uh, ICBMs mm-hmm. When, mm-hmm. when he was ordered, which, which is kind of interesting because you know th- then you right. can look back and go, okay, all the people hating on him, he could have said something earlier but he didn't feel like he should have to say it right but he didn't follow you'd have to have to wonder whether people would believe him right right yeah and it wouldn't matter right if you want to hate on americans for something the u.s military did just because Mm -hmm. you didn't fire doesn't yeah doesn't mean your your nation isn't culpable yeah Yeah. (laughs) still though i think in the hands of a better actor that could have been a really really powerful scene yeah 
So, you know, he could have really done something with it, um, whereas, you know, he just sort of blurts it out as a, 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 like it's a weight that's been on him. But I think with a better actor, he could have, like, you know, said that with the um, sort of moral rectitude that the, the white character has in the book and he yeah. has with Gregory Peck. But mm-hmm. unfortunately... Um, uh, Amanda Sante, I think in training terms, we would call him not yet competent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And he's, you know, and then, you know, Brian Brown is there and he's very effective in his scenes, mm. you know, when, when he's talking about how, um, you know, Peter has a family to go to go home to a family that's mm-hmm. still alive and we should honor that. Mm-hmm. But the feeling I get with Brian Brown, and this is my thing is that, the reason why he's so effective because every role he's literally playing Brian Brown. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of variety of character there. Yeah. yeah. He knows what works and he yeah. goes with it. More power to him. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. But, um, All right. Anything else to say about this one? No. All right. Nope. Colin canceled us. <laughs> what? No. I, Colin, You're like, Colin, no. Colin is very <laughs> gamely. I'm speaking for myself. I, I, I'm going to say I'm very proud of Colin because I know this is not your cup of tea, right? To, 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 to read and think about the end of the yeah. world, to contemplate, you know, euthanasia and suicide and that kind of stuff is not not where you want to be. And so so I appreciate you you joining us. Yeah. Yeah. We finally broke down. I'd like to suggest that we put a warning on the podcast mm. that it normalizes suicide and will be discussed a lot because that's a, th- that's a thing for some people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, that's a good idea. Okay. I, I will, uh, I'll, I'll throw that in at the top. Right. So I think we have to rank them. Uh, so Michael, yeah. I think you're going to actually, Michael, you said you were watching another movie. That's kind of a spiritual adaptation. <laughs> uh, I didn't get to it, but okay. I've, I've seen the cliff note versions of it. These final hours, which is basically, um, it's less American hating. So yeah. you guys will be right with that. Hey, I'm pro with that. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, um, basically, it's a comet hits the northern hemisphere and basically there's a huge firestorm heading towards Australia. But this one's set in Perth and it was made in 2013. Okay. And okay. Um, it seems to go more with the whole, um, yeah, you would need a whole bunch of trigger warnings to talk about it on here because there's um, – <laughs> No, the, this guy goes to a party and there's people um, playing Russian roulette. There's oh, orgies, you know. So Thanks. it really is, yeah, a modern updating. And um, the story is basically this guy finds out his um, girlfriend is pregnant just before all this happens and he's Oof. going to a, a mate's party and this girl, there's a small child there, no more than 10 or 11 years old. And um, she wants. She's been separated from her father, and he's trying to get her back to his to her father before the asteroid or the firestorm hits, and trying to get back to his girlfriend as well. Mm-hmm. As well, so wow, yeah. So it's. I wouldn't say it's a spiritual successor to it, but it's the same sort of yeah, yeah. genre. Yeah, but um, yeah. there is a documentary called Fallout that's about the book and the original movie that I, I saw a panel of people talking about, mm-hmm. but not, I couldn't find the actual oh, movie really? available oh, any place to okay. stream. So oh, gotcha. I didn't, Michael, you might look out for it if it's something that you can get down your way, but um, yeah. hard to find in the, in the U S. Yeah. All right. Anyhow, rank them, Michael. Book 59 movie, 2000. I wasn't a fan of the 2000. All right. Uh, Colin. Uh, 2000 book 59. 
right. James. I was going to book 2059. I'm going to go with James, book 2059. <laughs> my, my main problem with the 1959 one is, is the music being kind of repetitive. And it's a thing that definitely happens in that era. Mm-hmm. If you watch like Ocean's Eleven. Like right. anytime it shows like something going on, <laughs> it just keeps repeating the same theme over right. and over. I'm like, oh, just write a few more bars. <laughs> um, and, and this one just with Waltzing Matilda, just, just invading my brain. I don't know, it, it bothered me a little bit. Um, so yeah, the, the 2001 was definitely not perfect. Um, and, and I nope. preferred the book, but um, yeah. But yeah. So right. uh, we have done that. Uh, so Michael, do you, do you want to say anything to our audience or if uh, anybody wants to get a hold of you, you got any projects you're working on? Not really at the moment. I sort of between projects at the moment, but, um, no, um, I'm, I'm out there on the internet. Um, I think remote semi on X or Twitter or whatever Elon's calling it this <laughs> way. Uh, <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Well, thanks for joining us and, and being patient as we <laughs> kick this down the road for at least four years. Uh, it's probably longer. I, I am I am relieved that we did, um, given that yeah, the last place um, Natalie and I visited before the pandemic was Melbourne. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> so, um, did, and did given the strict you, lockdown. Did it bother you in the 2000 movie how many times Armando Sante said Melbourne? <laughs> I'm, I'm used to it. I'm okay. used to it. It bothered me more that um, Brian Brown, you know, somehow got his Ferrari down from North Queensland down to Victoria in the middle of a major crisis, or whether he bought one down yeah. there. I'm not sure. Oh man, the, the CG on that crash. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, that was pretty terrible. That, that's the prequel yeah. for Free Jack, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We don't have the budget to trash this Ferrari. <laughs> Well, it's, it's some of the CG around right. like uh, San Francisco was pretty bad too. Oh so. yeah, yeah. Um, there was like one shot, and I was like, "Oh, that looked pretty. That looked okay." And then it kept showing, and I'm like, right. "Okay, it's no, like the, nope, in, the initial shot of the bridge wasn't almost looked like a legit model." Yeah, yeah and yeah. then it just fell apart after that. Yeah, like, "Oh, the water looks a little CG." Okay, yeah, yeah everything. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it looks kind of bad. But I mean, it's two thousand rain, so yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Michael. This was a ton of fun. It's always great talking to you. No worries. Thanks for having me. And, and uh, I guess I should do the uh, the blessing, right? Yes. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, everybody, uh, let us know. You know, what did you think of On the Beach? Have you seen the movies? What are your favorite end of the world <laughs> properties? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let us know that. And, and until next time, may the road rise up to meet you and may the book always fall open to where you left off. All right. Goodbye, everybody. All right. What was your gin tip? Um, there is a native or a gin that someone has made here in Australia called ink gin. And basically it's made partially with a native plant here. So when oh, wow. you add cool. the soda to the um, gin, it mm-hmm. turns the gin a purple color. Oh, so sweet. Oh, called, that's awesome. So it's called, yeah, it's called ink gin. Ink gin. So, hmm. It's like it's got phenolphthalein in it or magic. something. An indicator. Yeah. Did you recognize awesome. the... Executive officer on the sub officer on the subroutine. Subroutine. The subroutine? Sub- <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry. Spoken like a programmer. I spent seven hours building a shed by myself, <laughs> I know. so I'm a little tired. No, I didn't. Let I, me try that again for for the for the sake of the pod. 